0: Today we're doing part six of our series in uh, Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 verse 18, 4 through 1. And and if you need a Bible, uh, there's actually Bibles here and and our usher Steve will will bring one to you. Uh, And uh, I didn't even tell him. I bet you he could pull it off though. Uh, So, but yeah, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and, and we'll get you one of these Bibles over here. Uh, But our our, our series is Jesus, Every Relationship Made New. And so today it's in-your-face relationships. And so these are the relationships that are most important to us. They're the relationships that, you know, some relationships we can clock in and clock out and kind of be done with. But these are the really big relationships that were always around us. They have the biggest impact upon others and also the biggest impact upon us as well. And this time of year... It's an interesting time. You have baseball winding down. You have football ramping up. You may not be into sports, but uh, you probably are into interesting things like this, which is I was thinking about when my boys were little, they all played baseball. Uh, they, don't, they don't play now, but they all played for several years. And the biggest thing in teaching, whether it's throwing the ball and catching the ball or swinging the, the bat to hit the ball, is, is you tell them what? What's the, what's the one principle? Keep your eye on the ball. All right, perfect. So, but as you as you progress and get older and more advanced into baseball, it, it becomes more complicated. Uh, for instance, the pitchers in the major leagues, they throw the ball, most of them can throw up to 95 miles an hour. 95 miles an hour. I mean, uh, some of us haven't even driven that fast before. And then others of us have. Uh, but But to think about a 95 miles an hour... It, it actually, um, the speed that it takes, it takes four-tenths of a second for the ball to travel 60 feet and six inches, four-tenths of a second. Not, you don't even get a whole second once that ball leaves the pitcher's hand to swing right. I mean, that, that's absolutely amazing. Um, the batter has to decide very quickly whether it's a fastball, curveball, slider, knuckleball, screwball, or whatever, right? They've got to decide in their mind. But, but the really keen ones are paying attention to what the pitcher's doing otherwise before it leaves his hand. Uh, but they actually have, once they decide, they have to decide about the 25 to 30 foot mark, what it is, where they're going to swing. And then at that point, they have, listen to this, 250 thousandths of a second later to put that bat right where the ball's going to be. The scientists have proven that that's actually on the edge of humans' ability to actually think and and move and react. So everything that you see happening in a baseball game when the the pitcher throws and the the batter hits is is right on the edge of what we're capable of doing uh, as human beings. So, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if if we had something like keep your eye on the ball? what, What if we had something like that for relationships? You know what if you know when it comes to I'm, a, I'm I'm married and you know what if I could just say well keep your eye on or or I'm a parent well keep your eye on or, or um, in work life keep your eye on well uh, the good news is is, is we do uh, and it's uh, it has to do with uh, something written in the, to the letter of the Hebrews in the New Testament in Hebrews twelve uh, verse one through two it says and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So, one could say that in relationships, keep your eye on Jesus. Fairly simple, right? But in relationships, keep your eye on Jesus. Uh, That's what God speaks to us in our passage today. And um, this section of Colossians. We've put a focus on relationships all throughout Colossians, but especially in this section, it speaks to those relationships. So let's pray and welcome God's presence today. Father, we thank you that um, even the way that you've expressed yourself to us is relational. And we know, God, even though it's a great mystery how it all can be, we know that you are a perfect family. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even the terms that you use... um, our family and, and relational. And so we, we need your help today. We need your help to know how to treat one another. We need your help to know how to heal wounds that have happened through those closest relationships. And so, God, we ask that you would come and teach today because each of us needs something different from you. And so have your way with us, God, and, and let these words that were written so long ago mold together with you, Holy Spirit, and that we might hear from you and know that we've met with you, in Jesus' name, Amen. So we're starting in verse eighteen of chapter three. But what we're about to read is a is a is a household code. And so household codes today are written in books. Here's how to do family. Here's how to parent. Or here's how to uh, you know you know treat one another. This sort of thing. But. They were big they 're big now, and, and, but even more then, like this is the way that you do your household okay now w- what 's written here uh, isn 't unique in the sense that it would address the different members of the family, um, but the values that are here are are wholly different than the values of the time, and so I want us to do something though I want us to treat the passage uh, within the context that 's there that 's important, and you 'll see why I also want to. Uh, give Paul his due and let him say what he's meant to say here so that we can understand what he's saying and and, and then unpack it. Uh, so the household codes uh, were a huge topic, and, and, and let's hear what he says. First, we're going to see here in verse 18, it speaks of Jesus' wives and husbands. So in verse 18, it says, "'Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord.'" And so this idea of wives uh, submitting uh, was norm for the first century. Uh, That this idea of wives, you know, uh, being subservient to their husbands. But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying something totally different. Paul's speaking of uh, a, when it says submit, he's speaking of respect. So wives respect respect. Your husband as is fitting in the Lord, um, the code places a high value on women. this code that Paul writes this is really the Christian household code, so recognize that that it 's speaking to people that have chosen Jesus as their Savior, and this is how Christian households should operate okay it obviously could apply to anybody, but he 's speaking to Christians, somebody that 's made that decision to surrender their life to Christ and so uh, it Actually, places women on a, a much higher value than any other code of the time. That's why when we look at scripture in the New Testament, sometimes we look at things and we say, wait a minute, they, we can kind of have chronological snobbery. We can kind of say, well, gosh, we see things so different. I mean, they should have just done this and should have just said, well, you know, give them these rights and just do that. But this was just right at the the, the shift, the paramount change of a higher value for all people. And this is right at the beginning, right at the birth of it. And so it would be done with wisdom and it's how God did it. But you see Paul saying something here, wives submit to your husbands. Typically the codes would say, wives obey your husbands. And so husbands would congratulate themselves and kind of they'd get together and speak of, you know, my wife is the most obedient. And so it was that, that was kind of the idea. Whereas this is speaking of something totally different. This is speaking of wives, respect your husband as is fitting in the Lord. And so this isn't really a concept that is just for wives with their husbands. This is a principle that has to do with being a Christian. And Paul is highlighting a wife applying that to her husband. Because actually, as Christians, there's a mutual submission that we have in the Lord that we have for each other. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul also wrote to the church there, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So in Christ, there's equality between male and female. There's absolute equality between male and female in Christ. It's clear in Scripture. Uh, also, chap, uh, chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 28, Paul writes to the Galatians, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ, Jesus. So this speaks of a voluntary submission. So this verse is not here for husbands to say to their wives, submit. Okay? So this isn't here for the husband to come along and say, see what it says? You've already gone out of bounds. Paul's not speaking to you. (laughs) Paul's not speaking to me. He's speaking to wives. He's speaking to their heart. How they can have the heart of their husband and how their husband can have their heart. And so wives, respect your husband, submit to your husbands, which is a principle that is a Christian principle. Um, so it's not a universal law that speaks of masculine dominance. Sorry, guys. It's just it's not something that, that does that. You know, when we think of God, God communicated himself to a paternal society. okay. So in other words, very fatherly, okay? And so we see God communicated as Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the the only gender that we see God in and that he became flesh is a man, Jesus, right? The Son. But when you think of Father, in actuality, he is the Father and that's the proper way to to, um, address him because that's how God communicated himself. But in actuality, Father is neither male nor female. Father is male and female because that's where you see the clearest picture of God, right? Then he created man and woman in their image. So when you have woman and you have man, you get a really clear picture of what God is like. And so that's what we see here as well. So the the directive isn't one-sided as well. He also has something to say to husbands. So husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So um, husbands are presented with a demanding task as well, right? Because we can look at this, but, hey, get going with life. You know, I mean, ha- have some things happen and, and you know, get, get going past the honeymoon phase. And, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, apply these things. Uh, he's speaking to them. So husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So all the other household codes during this time... Uh, uh, did not really speak of the wives in this way. And the codes weren't spoken of in a way that th- really defining the relationship between the husband and wife in the sense of love. Okay, I think today we almost kind of push it the other way. It's like it's just all love, right? It's just love, 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 love. Okay, We, we kind of push it the other way because we just, in some ways, we're in love with love, right? Uh, but then there's also, you know, commitment. And so what we see here is um, something defined to totally different. This was, this was revolutionary in this time to say, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So um, the code focuses on husbands loving their wives, and uh, it focuses on um, those who follow Christ and serving others gladly and faithfully, right? So each of these things, wives submit to your husbands and then husbands love your wives... It's, it's gladly and faithfully. Gladly and faithfully. Not being compelled by being pushed by the other person, but gladly and faithfully. And uh, typically what's fitting with these things, because even cultures today, right, this would be revolutionary, what we're reading here. Even 2,000 years later, this would be spoken into, uh, people would say, wow, this is, this is totally different. But for the Christian Our culture is in Christ. So being in Christ defines what's fitting. So the Lord determines what's fitting. So if we want to know what's right in our households, and if we are his, then he defines that. So uh, wives show allegiance to Christ. That's what it speaks as, as is fitting in the Lord. And so here's, here's something, is that the wife's ultimate submission is not to her husband the wife's ultimate surrender is not to her husband. It's to Christ. Right? And so um, that is her absolute authority. Her absolute surrender is is to Jesus. In husbands, here's the deal. That's what you want. That's what you want. Because when a woman is surrendered to Christ as her absolute authority, she is free to be the person that she was created to be. She is free to bloom and be... The woman that she was created to be—to be strong yet be soft, and to be, you know, to be the person and to just be beautiful in all that she is, inside and out. That's what Jesus does with a woman, okay? But the tendency is for men to, you know, hey, you know, you got it, okay? It doesn't work that way. You want a woman submitted to Christ, and then also too, husbands love their wives, love their wives the same way that they are loved by God. That's the thing. You know, wives here, you know, uh, you can try to love your husband and and try to change him all day long. You can try to get him to do all the sorts of things that you think he should do and and those sorts of things and and try to make him more loving in these things. But, you know, wives, you you want want your husband just to be one that can receive love from, from God. Because when you have a man that, receives love from God and, and is loved by God, um, same thing. You can have somebody that is strong and also soft. You can have somebody that is permeable. They can have relationships and they can be the man that they were created to be and they can love you as their wife the way that you were supposed to be loved because they've received that love from Christ. Um, I know for me that coming from a, coming from a broken home, uh, for me, this is just this is like water for my soul. Not because my parents weren't loving and not because they didn't respect each other, but because it, it just, right, when you, as a child, when, you know, you're preteen and you're, your home is, is, you know, gone and your mom's here and your dad's here and, you know, see these things, everything kind of, at least for me, I just stuffed and I, to survive, right? We have fight or flight. I just stuffed it and survived. I didn't really think about these relationships, and so when I came to Jesus, part of what helped me become a healthy husband, to become a husband uh, that could love my wife in the way that I'm supposed to, is because I was around families that, amongst other things, modeled for me what this looks like. Because they were respecting each other and loving each other. And, and you may have had the same thing, where you see, um, you know, you, you see things uh, Amongst people, and you admire that, and, and you go after it. Um, so husbands don't exercise their rights over their wife, but they exercise love, right? Um, this really goes beyond affectionate feeling too, and, and being sexually attracted. It's it's something bigger than that. It's it's loving your your wife with your whole being. That's what that Paul what Paul uh, is speaking of here. Uh, and it involves unceasing care. Loving service. I is a as a married man. I I've experienced uh, the most peace, um, the most uh, intimate relationship with with God. Uh, most of the time, when I'm serving my wife, right when 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 the kids were little, uh, I would be doing something. I was getting my master's, and so I'd be up late studying. And so there would have been like, um, you know, like a nuclear bomb went off in the in the in the in the living room right from all the toys and different things and dishes and just the day was just crazy right and the best thing we could do is just try to get these uh, we had three under five years old at one point get these little guys into their bed and just whew, okay and so and she'd be up sleeping and, and, and the holy spirit would speak to me you know serve your wife love your wife so do the dishes do the stuff okay and in as I obeyed in that, I found an intimacy with God, because I was, I was, as my wife needed care from God during that time, as she asked God for, to help her and those things, well, you know, it, I could just say, yeah, help her, Lord, right? Could do that. But instead, no, now be that person. And so there's a great intimacy, I think, for, for husbands and wives, you know, to be able to, if you really want to be close with God, then partner with him in loving the person right in front of you. Um, That's that's really where it's at. Uh, You know, and and when we think of keeping our eye on Jesus, we talked about wives and husbands, keep your eyes on Jesus, right? Um, One of the biggest things I heard about Jesus before I became a Christian was Jesus loves you. And that was really difficult for me because, again, it wasn't that my parents didn't love me, but everything got ripped apart. Right? And so when I think of love, it's like, and I was just, I became the parent. I took on the responsibility. And so when I thought of that, I'm like, what is that? And, and it applied into my relationships, too. Like, I, I, I think I, I blew up and ruined every relationship with a female before I met my wife. And then I nailed it, though, which is great. But, I mean, absolutely, I, just, I was just a miserable, you know, I, I, I didn't know how to do relationships. And so we see a different picture here when we think of who Jesus is. And once I got to know who Jesus was, I started to understand what relationships were about. We see the clearest picture of of keeping our eye on Jesus when we think of the cross. When we understand that that Jesus was a person that, uh, out of his own volition, out of his own heart, and his own drive, uh, laid down his life. Right? Uh, Jesus wasn't a victim. He wasn't one that uh, came under a horrible happening. But Jesus chose to go to the cross. In Luke, the, the center point of the book of Luke, you see that Jesus turns and he's ministering over here and he says, and he th- resolutely set out towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. And that's why we fix our eyes on him, because Jesus is one that is able to finish what he started. And Jesus is one that is able to choose the hard thing. And even when it gets hard, he perseveres and goes through. And so we have a model in Jesus where we see one that he gave absolutely everything. Everything. And so wives and husbands, that's why we look at Jesus. Because Jesus sacrificed everything. And he was able to say at the end of it on the cross, it is finished. That's the kind of person that we want to look to. There's all kinds of other things today that creep in with husbands and wives and you know, try to work their way into our thinking, but let's focus on Jesus. Let's let Jesus be right at the center of our lives in our marriages as well. The next thing we see in verse 20 is we see that Jesus uh, is uh, Jesus' children and parents. Okay? So uh, children and parent relationships. So children... Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So, again, it was unusual to address children. Children were really seen as the property of their father. They were, in essence, just a little bit higher than than slaves. So, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So the command assumes this, though. This is important, okay? Because, again... This has to do with power and respect and and what's happening. So it assumes that parents will not demand anything unseemly from from their children. Uh, It also takes for granted that parents have their best interest of the children in mind. And so this isn't as well something that parents take to their kids and say, Hey, you obey me in everything. For this pleases the Lord. It's not speaking to parents. It's speaking to children. And I will say, too, that there's not an age limit. Okay? I, I don't think that God created parental relationships with children so that when you're 18, now this goes away. And I have to, I have to move on to something else. But, because for me, too, as you're hearing a little bit of my story, I have become more of a son... And my parents have become more parents, I think, more than the majority of my childhood after I've been an adult. And even more so, not just in my 20s or 30s, but in my late 30s, and now I'm in my early 40s, now I think, we're trying to, I think we're starting to figure it out. Don't judge us. We're starting to figure out, I'm starting to figure out how can I be a son, and, and, and my parents... So it, it's But it's, it's so exciting because that's the hope of the gospel, isn't it? I mean, that's the hope of resurrection, isn't it? Is that, is that if I have a bad day or if I have a bad year or some, there's some here that you've had a bad marriage and it ended or you've had a bad family and, and guess what? There's hope. There's hope for healing. There's hope for healthy relationships. If you're still breathing, if you're still above ground, that's still getting worked out. There's hope in Jesus. And it's because of Jesus that things are getting better. And so here, we also want to be reminded that of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, uh, the one that speaks of children and parents is the first one with a promise. Exodus 20, verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live in the land the Lord your God, um, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. So, this person, above all, owes obedience to the Lord, the child, right? So it's within the context of God that the honoring of the parents takes place. Now, in verse 21, it speaks to fathers. It says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So fathers, ain't, uh, fathers varied in ancient times as they do today. Uh, some fathers rule with, with an iron hand then and now. OK, um, I've heard a good description, I think, of fathers that um, there's three types of fathers. There's the there's the distant father where he's there, but he's not. OK, and, and, and it's kind of like, you know, uh, it's kind of like uh, the Lone Ranger. Who is that masked man? You know, who, who, who is that person? He's here. I see him. But who, who is he really? You know, and then there's the father that is uh, the abusive father. You know, whether you know physically, emotionally, or other. The abusive father that 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 is there and and not distant, but just way too up close and personal. Okay, and then and then there's the missional father, where the missional father is the one that that is that that is partnering with God and, and seeing this person that that this child, this amazing gift, this life that they've been entrusted to and sees and says, I need to love and respect this one because I have no idea who they are. I heard of a, I heard of a, a, a teacher that when he would walk into his classroom, uh, he, would, he would bow to, to his students. And it was in a society that, that wasn't necessarily how it was supposed to go. It's like, hey, they're supposed to bow to you. And, and so one of his fellow people said, well, why do you do that? And he says, because I have no idea who it is that I stand in front of. I mean, think of that, adults here. We, we look at little ones and then teenagers, and we, we don't really know who it is that we're, that we're with. God does. And so we want his heart in that. So it says, fathers do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. So Paul has a concern that overly stern and heavy-handed parents would drive their children from the faith. Because that's what it really comes down to. Is that if you apply this old household code, now you've come to know Jesus. And you try to force your kids in their faith with Jesus in that way. Like, hey, um, I've heard it said this way. Like, uh, some people parent with, uh, you know, there's two dump trucks. There's the big yellow dump truck that's huge and big huge wheels six feet tall and then there's a little itty bitty Fiat dump truck okay the red one and that's you you know and so the way we parent is like I'm the big dump truck you're the little dump truck right that's what it's talking about here and the problem is is that parents that can be effective you can actually get kids to Get in line and do that. And this is something that I'm working on. It's something that I'm working on as a parent is that I want to approach my sons in a way that I have their heart. I don't want to be the big dump truck versus the little dump truck and they they obey or do things because I'm the big one. I want them to obey and I want them to live their life and be healthy because... I have their heart, and they have mine. It's completely different. Because what can happen is, is that they will become discouraged, right? And that's where in life, where a child becomes discouraged is where they think they don't have it. They don't have what it takes. Where shame is put on them. Shame is spoken to them. And so what happens is they become discouraged that you embitter your children. So if Christian parents also, too, push their faith on their child, right? I mean, look, Jesus spoke of it. He said, look, when, when somebody comes to faith, you know, it's like the wind coming. You see the results, but it's, you know, the Spirit of God comes, but you can't see the wind, right? It's, it's, it's this mystery, and, 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 but it just happens. And, but as parents, right, if you've come to know Jesus, you want your children to know Jesus, But it has to be them interacting with God. And and as parents, we have to understand that we have to remember where we came from and look how God guided us and then trust and say, wow, the Holy Spirit's involved in their life too. Holy Spirit's involved in their life and he's working on them as well. So fathers should treat their children with love, compassion, and patience. And children's obedience is ultimately to the Lord. Uh, you know, again, so fathers, parents, keep your eyes on Jesus. That's difficult to do sometimes, isn't it? Uh, I, we took a couple of mission trips uh, when we were youth pastors, Michelle and I, to uh, the UK. And I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> I found out they drive on the other side of the road. And so, uh, you know, I did okay until there was Roundabouts. And as I, as I came out the roundabout and I'm talking and looking at the scenes, I would end up on the other side of the road and, and no joke, I'm driving and there's some kids in the back and the statute of limitations is over so I can talk about this, but there's some kids in the back. They don't have seat belts and we're in this van because we're building stuff for this big outreach youth event. And, and, and so we're driving, I'm on the other side of the road and, and there's this car coming at me. And I'm like, what is wrong with this person? They're coming right at me and they're on the wrong side of the road. And yet it was it was a who was on the wrong side of the road. So so whip the wheel over and hit the curb. And it, no joke, one kid said, I'm calling my mom. What are you doing to, you know, and it's actually OK because he was actually 18. He had just graduated. So but um, nobody got hurt or injured. Uh, but but yet the, the way they told me he said, look, this is how you're going to not cross over. Keep your eye on the line." Keep your eye on the line and, and make sure that the line... I can't remember whether it's supposed to be to the right or the left, so let's take a mission trip together. But just keep your eye on the line and keep it to the right, you know, to the correct side of you, and you'll be okay. That's what you're supposed to do to keep on that. And in keeping your eye on the ball is a little too simplistic if you're a parent, isn't it? So it's like keeping on that line. It's kind of like driving in another country. That will help you. And, and if we keep our eyes on Jesus we will see the father in the relationship as well. And fathers especially, listen, if we just applied this one action that we see that our heavenly father take towards his son, Jesus, and we apply it into situations of our lives, we'll be okay. And it's this, as Jesus was baptized, not for his sin as, as we would be, But he was baptized for association with us so that he would be the first amongst everything and he would identify with us. But as he was baptized, what happened? Right? Opened up. Holy Spirit was there as well as a dove. And he says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Dads, if we could just apply that and communicate that to our kids parent of the year every year. I'm happy who you are. I'm pleased that you're here. I'm pleased that you're my child. I'm pleased that you're my daughter. I'm pleased that you're my son. I'm well pleased with you. You have what it takes. Do all that's within your heart. If we affirm them that way. Then lastly, we see a picture of Jesus' slavery and work. And this is the section I was saying. Let's look at this within the context that Paul speaks of. In verse 22, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when the eye is on you uh, and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So slaves being commanded to obey their masters in the Bible, that's upsetting to us, right? It's upsetting to us today because we have perspective. We've seen, uh, you know, in this country, we've seen slavery be abolished, okay? We've seen efforts to stop slavery. There's, There's actually... Uh, more slaves today per capita than, than any other time in history because it still goes on. But it's not as much up front as it was before. And so there's a push on that again to, to free people up. But slavery, slavery was a reality for the first century Christians. It was, it was right then. Again, this is at the birth of Christianity, the birth of a new way to be human. And so Paul's speaking into that. So Paul's not sanctifying slavery here at all. Okay? That's not what he's doing. Uh, We know when he has a wise opportunity, he takes it. Read the book of, or the letter, it's just one chapter to Philemon, okay? He's speaking to a former slave owner about his slave, and he he speaks to them about how things should be. He says, refresh my heart in Christ. And so how things should be in Christ. And so he takes the opportunity when he has it. Um, Also, too, Paul addresses slaves as responsible human beings, not as property as it was seen at the time. Um, most people regarded slaves in a different way. Most took slaves. that They were incapable of doing good. Yet Paul speaks to them in a whole other way, especially that he would speak to a household and include slaves. It shows that something's happening here. We would look and say, just blow it out of the water. Just push away the whole system. But instead, he's going through the side door in in walking after things in a different way also too, notice verse one of chapter four what does it say masters provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven so masters are being commanded to treat their slaves as equals that's what he's saying that's what they would have heard we look at it and just say hey you got to just blow it out but that's what he's speaking of And there's a principle here. The kingdom of God, which is what Jesus spoke about the most and what he came to proclaim, happens internally to a person and transforms them before it happens externally. So we look at society and we want everything changed and we can't believe that people do certain things. We can't believe we do certain things sometimes. But know this. The kingdom of God, where things are as they are in heaven, like the way they're supposed to be, happens internally to a person it transforms who they are, then it works its way out into the personality of a city or community. And then it transforms the community. So what Paul is doing with these words here is he is opening the door for the kingdom of God to come in to transform them internally, then work out externally. And we've seen that progress within history so that it ultimately was abolished very publicly. Okay, the majority of the world would say today that slavery is is wrong and, and it's and it's against God. Uh, but let's look at it through the lens of employee and employer too. Okay, that's that's helpful. Uh, many employees today like they justify laziness or poor work or dishonesty or uh, on the mistreatment of their employers. Okay? typically if they 're lazy or have those things gone, they say, "Well will they do this and that well, you know they, they do this to me, and, and so they they handle that again paul 's speaking to christians he 's saying that 's not your context for how you treat things there 's something different uh, you know we can try to do as little as possible just get by i 'm just going to do the minimum you know hey that's that 's all that i 'm going to do don 't ask me to do anything else because this is like what i 'm doing and 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 just nothing else it, that 's good just just don 't Nope, nope, you you pushed on there. And what Paul's saying is saying, look, in Christ, that isn't how things work. Remember, there's a mutual submission to each other where there's permeability in the relationship. We don't get to do that in Christ. Also, too, work is just not to get attention. So it says, obey your earthly masters and everything, or your boss, and, and, and do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart. So again, internally working itself out into things around me. Especially at our jobs, right? We can have a tendency to do the outward first. But we need to be the person that does things this way. Also too, notice masters are shown that they have a master as well. Um, All of this has to do with power, right? But the New Testament speaks of that, that, that the first will be last and the last will be first. Uh, Speaks of that even Jesus did not come to, uh, he did not come to be served, but he came to serve. Didn't he? Right? And so we follow one that was the best servant ever. And so in all of our relationships, let's be servants of other people. For it was Jesus who said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, You know, we have to ask ourselves, can we say that in these relationships we talked about today, that I provide a light yoke? And a light burden, pretty challenging when we think of it that way. But we won't ever have perfection as Jesus does, but we can make progress in that as well. You know, in this passage, it really has to do with the lordship of Christ. Uh, if we went back, you would see that in this passage, the Lord occurs seven times. So Paul's speaking of that, look, people are going to fire you up. People are going to do bad things, and, right? Because this is all nice, but test it. Right, This is all nice for you to say, yeah, I'll do that. Get around another person, okay? And then live this way, okay? We can and we will, but ultimately it's reminding us that Christ has lordship over us. Uh, as we close today, when you think of somebody important in your life, like for me, I talked about before, my grandfather, he had a pipe. And, and, and so when I think of him, I, I associate... That pipe with him, but uh, maybe it's a chair or a, or a hammer, uh, you know, a, a truck or a cigar or something that you associate. But when we think of Christ, the Lord that it speaks of, uh, you know, we may think of his humanity. We may think that, that God came down and, and took up this human tent like we had, and, and yet look how he used it. Look how Jesus used his life, that he was only alive for 33 years, and yet look what he accomplished. You know, uh, for all people, for all time. Uh, you may also, too, the main one we associate with Jesus will be the cross, right? The object. When we think of the cross, we think of him. I many times think of, of the bowl in the towel that, you know, right? Before the night before Jesus was betrayed, he, uh, you know, in, in that time period, he, he, he got down and he girded his, his you know, clothes and, and there was nobody to wash the feet at the dinner and so Jesus stepped in and wash the feet of his disciples. And and so I think of the bowl and the towel that associate with them. And and yet, you guys, this is the king. This is the one that we follow. And so the one that was most powerful became the least. And look what he's done in your life and my life. So now may, may we keep our eyes on Jesus and live our lives as he would live our lives. That's where the power is. We're not Jesus. We never will be. But if we could think about, how would Jesus love my wife? How would Jesus love my husband? And what's even greater is we can say, Jesus, what do you think of my wife? Jesus, what do you think of my husband? And then as sons and daughters, we can say, Jesus, what do you think of my mom? What do you think of my dad? And and I I realize, too, we're talking about big subjects. Some of us today, would say, well, you know, my mom or my dad's passed, and, and, you know, I, I've got issues. Here's the amazing thing. God doesn't work in straight lines. He can. But he goes backwards, forwards, around, all about, and he's able to heal in ways and work in ways that we, we just, if we just ask, he can. So he can heal those relationships too. And then his parents, you know, ask, ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you think of my son? What do you think of my daughter? So, God, we surrender our hearts and our lives to you. And uh, we ask that you would um, continue to move in our hearts. You continue to work in us. That we would know you and walk with you and, and be yours, Lord. We surrender our lives to you.